Hello, and welcome to the first of a three-part podcast series on survey methods with Ipsos UK and the Office for National Statistics. I'm Tom Huskinson, Head of the Survey Research Method Centre at Ipsos UK, and today we're going to be talking about how we can use a respondent-centred design approach when developing surveys, and specifically how we can use this approach for surveys with different budgets and different time constraints via three levels of respondent-centred design, bronze, silver and gold. So today I'm very pleased to be joined by Laura Wilson, who is Principal Research Officer at the Office for National Statistics and Data Collection Lead at the UK Government Data Quality Hub, and also by Charlie Hales. Charlie is also a Principal Research Officer at the Office for National Statistics and is Harmonisation Lead for the Government Statistical Service. Uh, both Laura and Charlie have worked extensively on developing approaches to ensure respondents are placed at the heart of survey design. And Laura's co-authored the book, Respondent-Centred Surveys, Stop, Listen, and Then Design, which was published in 2022. So a very warm welcome to you both, Laura and Charlie. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you very much for being here. So I think, first of all, Laura, if I could turn to you, um, it would be really useful if you could just explain to us briefly what Respondent-Centred Design's all about and how it differs from the more kind of traditional approaches to designing and delivering surveys uh, some people may be more familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. So RCD is really all about putting the respondent at the heart of survey design. And if that's the only thing you remember, then we've done that's great. But basically, it means involving the respondent at every stage of the development. So that's right the way through from the letter through to the questionnaire. And it's about developing content around their needs and their mental models, which are basically about how they perceive the world around them. So that's kind of how the approach mainly differs from traditional survey design. I guess, in contrast, um, traditional design can be very orientated around the data user and their needs. So, for example, using terms that they suggest maybe for question wording versus words that um, the respondent might use themselves in every day, so to speak. And then also maybe suggesting the order and flow of the questionnaire, which could clash with how the respondent would like to have those question topics presented to them. It mainly involves a lot of pre-design research to learn about respondents' needs, and then this is then used to inform the designs that we mock up and, and run in testing uh, activities then. And RCD also combines usability and cognitive testing in the same session, and that's to really maximise those results, whereas maybe in more traditional development, you would do those things separately. Um, and just to say, there is actually uh, a 10 point framework which is available online to sort of step you through the, the RCDF and, and uh, the different types of aspects and components of respondent centered design. So you mentioned they're using both usability and cognitive testing. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how these approaches work together? Some people may think of them as quite distinct, but in RCD, how are they uh, used in conjunction with each other? Yeah, so usually you do one type of testing and then maybe do the other type separately. However, we found in our work that it's really important to test the two things together um, during the same session, really. So, and this is because the look and feel can really affect the interpretation as much as the question design and the word in themselves. So, for example, the placement of the help information may influence whether it's seen and used or not. And even things like the shape of the radio button can be indicative to respondents about whether they need to select one response or they can select multiple options. Um, so when doing this sort of testing, you can also uh, use behavioural coding and that can help by noting down behaviours that are linked to usability and cognition. 
and also probing around both of those aspects when the respondent is struggling as this really ensures you pick up on the true cause of the problem. So what we don't want to do in this type of testing is to make a change to a question which is actually due to a usability problem and not due to a cognitive issue. So it's really about trying to get to the core of the problem and that's why doing the two things together in the same session is really, really useful. Yeah, and there might be some researchers who are familiar with um, other frameworks and approaches to developing surveys. So. Uh, I mean, there are the government design principles, which uh, were developed back in 2012, I think, and those have certain principles that, uh, you know, start with user needs, um, do less is one of them, uh, iterate and then iterate again is another. Uh, the respondent-centered um, design framework, that's more recent, but, uh, you know, how would you say it relates to other frameworks like this government design, these government design principles? Is it quite different or is there a lot of crossover between the two? So the Gov, yeah, the Gov, uh, Gov design principles are fantastic. We actually used to have them printed up in the wall um, when we were back in the office and they really inspired us in our work and helped us to align our work to ensure they were respondent-centred. So the principles in RCD are definitely aligned. Um, for example, you could actually take them and nest them amongst each other. So they should actually fit really nicely and you can demonstrate how uh, one aspect of the RCDF could fit then with uh, one of the um, items in the in the design principles but basically you can use them together and I tend to think of it as the principles share the ethos and the how you should be working and then the RCDF is a bit more practical and a bit more actionable um, and it tells you like, basically what you could be doing to achieve those things within the framework then and I guess just to mention that um, because I think in the past, some people have struggled to link together some of the, the GovUK service design principles and linking them to surveys. So more recently, we have developed some um, survey-specific design principles as well, which do really nicely um, lay over the, the GovUK ones and integrate some of the RCDF components as well. So we can share those in links um, from this podcast. Sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's useful to hear that these things are kind of harmonised with, with each other um, rather than being conflicting, certainly. Um, so, I mean, I think if we move on to the, the guidance you recently published, I think it was earlier this year in uh, May, you published some guidance called the three levels of respondent-centred design. Um, so this is online on the government analysis function web pages. We'll also include a link to it in the notes to this podcast. And essentially it presents three different levels of respondent-centred design, termed bronze, silver and gold. So, Charlie, if I could turn to you, could you tell us a little bit about what led you to create this guidance? How did the guidance come about? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been in the question design space for quite some time at the Office for National Statistics, ONS, and was fortunate enough to eventually <laughs> be in a position where I was leading and managing a team that was responsible for redesigning questions for a large voluntary survey. And one of the frequent conversations I had with internal stakeholders was always, how do we do this more quickly? Can we move the date to the left? But, you know, when we're talking about designing questions or survey materials, if we do it more quickly, it gets quite risky. So it was a lot of the same conversations with different people. You know, if we do it well, it will take X amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, if we do a light touch redesign, it will be quicker, but at risk of X, Y, Z. And mm -hmm. this was kind of coupled with um, RCD being relatively new for surveys and the approaches taken weren't always well understood across our office because it is, you know, it's, it is kind of new. So it was developed to use with stakeholders to help them make better informed decisions on the work. And also it was a really good practical tool that could be used um, 
by other teams across the office and now externally via because it's on the analysis function website. Mm. Um, so, for example, in there, we've got different research methods that you can do at those different agile stages of development. Mm. And what can people expect from this this guidance? Mm -hmm. So we've created the guidance to outline different levels of RCD that can be completed to design survey questions and materials, like we said. And each level of RCD, the gold, silver and bronze, all carry their own associated risks. So it's about allowing the survey owners and commissioners and suppliers to make those informed decisions about how much to allocate to their research and design activities and where they're comfortable with the mm. amount of risk they're willing to take on. So. In a nutshell, the gold level is the gold standard. Um, it carries minimal risk to the survey and is fully aligned to that RCD framework and the GDS design principles. Um, of course, this level of work does take the longest. <laughs> That's one of the things to think about with that. Uh, the silver level is definitely that middle ground, um, middle ground of risk and the amount of RCD work completed. In silver, the focus is on developing um, an online uh, question mode and then drawing on this to design other modes from the survey such as the interviewer lab modes like telephone or face-to-face -face if you need them. It's obviously quicker than gold but carries more risk and of course we've got the bronze level of RCD which would be the minimal work and research completed on those questions and materials um, but obviously carrying that maximum risk with it. So it would be a minimal discovery agile period with no prototype testing in alpha and no beta improvements either. So quite short to do. And this level does allow us to respond rapidly to emerging needs such as, you know, the global pandemic. So, you know, it, we're not saying don't ever use it, just be considerate of those risks that go alongside. And the final thing is we have included the unvalidated development approach as well. Um, this approach has no main RCD activities such as mental model research. Sure, and this guidance, it, it kind of goes into a certain amount of detail in the three levels. And, you know, for a researcher that's thinking of heading over and, and having a look at it, what in, is there something they should know before? Should they familiarise themselves with anything before they go ahead and look at this in terms of kind of understanding the, the fundamentals? Yeah, so we did try to make the guidance as comprehensive as possible, but um, obviously we want to keep it <laughs> engaging and not too long. Mm. Um, so the guidance, um, it doesn't really detail how to conduct different research methods. So if you're on the side of doing the research, some knowledge in that area would be useful. Um, having said that, you know, as Laura has said, you know, we do have plenty of additional guidance on the analysis function site. Um, for example, the survey development toolkit, uh, that's there as well. Um, if you are on the stakeholder owner side of the survey, reflecting on the risks in the guidance, having a your knowledge and context of the code of practice is useful. Mm. Um, and finally, the other thing we'll say is, you know, um, if you have a rough idea of your project's timings and resources before kind of maybe committing to one of those levels of respondent centre design just to help you plan more effectively would be useful as well. Mm. Sure, okay. So, I mean, if we think you've given us a useful summary of the, of the three levels, but if we think of them in a little more detail, perhaps, if we maybe kind of think of, of gold, as you say, it's the gold standard. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, you know, the stages involved in, in gold, maybe yeah. a bit of, you know, the, what timelines we might be looking at, what kind mm -hmm. of instances we might be looking to use that? 
yeah of course so yeah like i said gold is the gold mm. standard so mm. the maximum investment in design and learning um from your respondents needs and with it of course there is plenty of testing to do so a lot of work to do it does carry that minimal risk to quality of a survey fully aligned to the rcd framework and the gds principles like i said um in a nutshell <laughs> not to get too much into the weeds because that's all online you can go read it um a gold standard would be a really thorough discovery stage where you're really getting to the bottom of the stakeholder needs um, how the respondents think about things and in the alpha stage, there would be at least three rounds of cognitive interviewing per mode for that survey. So, for example, you know, you could start with the online mode and then there would also be at least three tests for telephone, face to face, paper, whatever your survey mode is. And the length of time for a gold approach is also kind of dependent on the experience of your researchers and how comfortable they are with these methods. Um, and also the number of researchers that you have as well. So if you have more researchers, some of those survey modes can be run kind of concurrently if we're comfortable to do that. Um, but ideally you would have one senior researcher and two to three junior researchers working on this. Um, timelines, as a rough guide, your timings for this. So we have worked out it would be just over a year, we think, so about 65 weeks. Um, obviously, if you have multiple researchers who are experienced, you could condense down to 47 weeks. But a really big caveat to that timeline is that these, these timings are primarily based on our ways of working at ONS, because mm -hmm. that is obviously what we know. Um, so for example, we yeah. always give two weeks to conduct those interviews. For your work, you might get them all done in a week or a, maybe even a couple of days, or it could be a bit longer. So it is important to reflect on, you know, on that and what is available to you when you're presenting yeah. this approach to your stakeholders. Sure, yeah. And uh, yeah, from looking at it, it certainly seems that kind of thinking primarily about what needs to be done is more important than just thinking this is how long we, we've got. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, if we now think about silver, so, um, you know, not quite at the, the level of gold, but, you know, still, Sarah, what um, are the main differences with, with silver and how does it compare to gold? Yeah, so silver carries a medium level of risk to quality due to the amount of RCD work being reduced. So as we have risk increasing the rcd activities decrease so they do kind of play off one another um i would say the main difference to gold is doing less research so less learning and testing um in alpha i think is where the main difference lies so instead of a minimum of three test rounds per mode you would do two rounds of cognitive interviewing per round and actually in beta you would only look to run maybe one quantitative test so quite reduced on the activities and with gold uh, similar for silver you know the length of time will vary depending on the researchers experience and the numbers on the project but roughly you know you could be looking at 22 to 24 weeks uh, for this mm. and that's with one senior researcher and two junior researchers so we're getting less and less mm. sure okay and uh Obviously, the last one being a bronze, but no means that the least. How, what, how does bronze differ from silver? Yeah, so the bronze level then is carrying the maximum risk to quality of the three. Uh, 
due to that heavy reduction in RCD work. And there is obviously less alignment to the GDS principles as well, because, you know, iterate, iterate, iterate is more difficult to do in bronze. Mm. So in alpha for bronze, there can be one round of COG interviewing per mode and no beta activities. And, you know, like the other two, length of time depends on your researcher's experience, but roughly we think around 15 to 21 weeks for this development. And mm. that would be with one staff, one researcher, one staff member. So one senior researcher, or you could have one experienced junior researcher doing that. Sure. Sure. Okay. So that's gold, silver, bronze. And then um, you mentioned earlier about the unvalidated development approach. So um, this is where surveys development, so it doesn't include a discovery phase or research into the respondent mental models. But, um, you know, some people will find themselves in a situation where they need to feel something in a certain amount of time and they might go down an unvalidated development route. So, Laura, if I could turn to you, could you tell us a little bit about this um, unvalidated development approach? Are there instances where it's perfectly defensible, possibly even preferable to use this sort of approach? Yeah, sure. So the unvalidated approach is the one which carries overall the highest risks to quality and uh, to respondent experience, basically. And this is because it doesn't include any primary research and testing. So instead, designs are really being created relying on people's expertise alone. And we tend to call this at desk design. And this is risky because even the most experienced questionnaires designers get it wrong. So even as experts, you know, they don't have this innate knowledge about how different parts of society will respond to or interpret questions and you know they only grow that knowledge through direct research and testing over time themselves so it's really important obviously to have that first-hand experience and to build on it so this at desk design you know you can you can create questions from it but there are risks obviously associated with it however you know we've all designed in this way at some point in our careers and you know, i'll put my hand up there and say i have as well and you know be that due to time cost resource challenges or all three in some situations so don't feel too bad about it but you know there are times when it is the right thing to do um so for example you know i had to work in this way during the pandemic when designing some of the rapid uh, response questions that we had on the opinion survey um, and those sorts of circumstances really warrant it because ultimately if we had taken a gold approach by the time the organization had the data it would have been far too late and it would have been out of date and the decisions made wouldn't have been um, useful from it so you know those are the types of circumstances where you know rapid data needs are, are suited to this sort of approach basically but just to say it is it can be used but it is the non-preferred yeah. approach as obviously we always want to do that primary research and get that evidence uh, to inform the design of our surveys so yeah, certainly very useful to know that the, the guidance isn't just aimed at those with kind of years and years of disposal for development and it, it ha does have someone for, for everyone depending on their budgets and timelines. So um, I think if we, we're coming towards the end now, so I think if um, just a very general question to wrap up really, I'd like to ask you each what you think the main piece of advice that you would give to someone who's starting work uh, designing a survey um, using respondent-centered design framework, what would be the main piece of advice you'd give them, Laura? So my book author, um, Emma Dickinson, and I have delivered quite a few training courses on RCD and the framework now, and we regularly get asked, what if I can't do it all? And that's for lots of different reasons, resource, whatever. Um, so we get it, you know, it does seem quite overwhelming. It's something that's new. Um, but our advice is to really just do what you can. So even if you can only do certain elements of the components or if you need to build it up over time, then that's a step in the right direction and it's a really good start. 
Um, I think the other thing I'd sort of recommend is that you really try your best to include that mental model phase and that discovery phase and not skip it entirely. So there is the temptation to sort of stop uh, doing any pre-research and actually go straight to marking up the designs and then going out to testing. But from our experience, when we actually do that discovery phase, we kind of picture-proof the designs into the testing phase so you actually may need to do less testing rounds because you've actually done that pre-work in advance so try your best to retain that discovery phase and that uh, mental model piece of research if you can. Great and Charlie what's your main piece of advice? Um, so I think as much as you can remove your own assumptions from the work so being in this design space, I hear so many times, you know, I wouldn't have asked a question like that, or this reminds a letter for a survey. Does that bit in the paragraph actually work? Um, when actually the survey questions and materials should be driven by what the respondents think. So it's their mental model. So actually the answers to those questions would be, okay, uh, our research shows that, you know, X, Y, Z, because assumption led design is obviously a very real thing and as Laura said you know no matter how much experience you have at doing respondent centered design how many survey questions you've developed in the past designing behind closed doors will most likely deliver you a product that doesn't work for your respondents and it's not about what you think works and your preconceived ideas to the solution it's all navigated by the respondents and I've actually got a phrase that I use quite a bit and I think it's quite relevant here as well um it's, I always say stakeholders tell you what to design, respondents tell you how to design it and ask it basically. So it's our job as researchers to keep refocusing that attention on the respondents and their perspectives. Sure, and it's interesting to hear about the um, danger of making assumptions because not, not so long ago I had um, experience designing a question where, you know, I didn't think anything could be wrong with the question. It was asking parents how many children they've got in their household at the age of the children um, with an open numeric box. And in usability testing, we found that parents with children aged under one um, would type in, want to type in six months or 10 weeks because that's how they thought about the age of their child. And it didn't occur to them that actually they'd enter the, the number zero. So um, no one ever thought that that could possibly be problematic, but then we ended up changing it to a, a list with an option for under one. So it mm -hmm. kind of highlights the dangers of making um, assumptions and exploring these mental models, as, as you say. Well, um, that's all we got time for today. So thank you very much to you, Laura and Charlie, um, for such an informative and interesting discussion. And uh, to those listening, please do look out for the second and third podcasts in this three-part um, survey methods series between Ipsos UK and the Office for National Statistics. In uh, the second podcast, we're going to be taking a look at agile survey development approaches. And then in the third one, we'll be uh, taking a look at how we can ensure that we design our surveys to be uh, inclusive and accessible. So thank you again, Laura and Charlie, and thank you very much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>